1: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions, and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Dr. Stephen Cohen with us. Now, there are many different paths people follow in becoming school leaders. Stephen's path has been quite straightforward. It follows a simple ideal, articulated best by one of America's greatest educators, John Dewey. What the best and wisest parent wants for his own child, that must be what the community wants for all of its children. Any other ideal for our schools is narrow and unlovely. Acted upon, it destroys our democracy. Stephen grew up in a modest middle-class family on Long Island, New York, in a town populated by the families of soldiers returning from the Second World War. The public schools he attended were staffed by smart, interesting, and caring teachers. Stephen had the good fortune to be taught at a wonderful liberal arts college, and he also enjoyed the excitement and satisfaction of doing original research at a great university. He knew that he had benefited greatly from public policies that created many opportunities for his own self-development. He also knew that not everyone was lucky enough to grow up in such wonderful, material, familial, and political surroundings. Becoming a school leader was one way Stephen could work to make the public institutions that have been so consequential in his own life, similarly consequential for everyone. Welcome, Dr. Stephen Cohen. How are you? Fine, thank you. Great. Nice to meet you, Lily. Nice to meet you. So we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership and we want to do that today by asking you key questions so are you ready to pour into our listeners I'm ready wonderful so can you share a little bit about your leadership journey with us
0: well originally I didn't really think about becoming a school leader I taught for many years I taught at Columbia College for five years in something called the general education course I was a history and economics and philosophy teacher to high school kids for about 15 or 16 years before I decided that to influence what goes on in a school you can't just be in one classroom you have to really in the end be in charge Uh, because of the structure of public schools really the person who is addressed and who is listened to first and foremost is the superintendent along with the Board of Ed. Mm-hmm. So I realized if I wanted to take some of my ideas on the road, I was going to have to go in that direction. So that's really what propelled me to do what I'm doing now.
1: And I imagine as a teacher, you were chuck full <laughs> of ideas. I would love teaching. I miss it.
0: And I was never bored and I never taught mm-hmm. the same thing the same way twice okay. in 20 something years.
1: Stephen, how would you describe your leadership style?
0: I guess I would describe it as focused collaboration and by that I mean nothing valuable or meaningful in a school can happen without intensive meaningful collaboration among teachers, uh, between teachers and administrators and between school employees and the community. Uh, Nothing meaningful is going to happen because we're talking about the experience of a child over 13 years. So the child is growing up and growing through an institution and the child meets teachers along the way but is going to meet uh, many teachers along that arc and so really they have to be working together in order to provide the most nurturing promising environment for kids to grow. Mm -hmm. So collaboration is essential but collaboration in general or about pretty much anything oftentimes winds up being a congenial fun experience for the adults but it's not obvious that that really uh, helps the kids that much. So it needs to be focused. And by that, I mean, the teachers and the schools really need to know what the important things are, mm-hmm. and then to focus collaboration around those things.
1: So there's a goal in mind and a vision. Right. And so right. you're steering them towards right. that. Which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I'm not sure it's a quote
0: about leadership. I think I sent you some material from John Dewey who talked about the significance of a society recognizing that what the parents uh, want for their own children should be the standard that a community wants for all of its children. That we all as parents want the best for our kids and it's up to the community and our schools to provide what's best for all the kids. That's a great standard. It's the only standard really in a democracy and it is under assault uh, now. And it has been under assault for a long time, I think, which is Mm -hmm. one reason I enjoy what I do now, because I think that's a fight worth having. And I've always thought it's interesting that if you want to look for a place that actually lives by this ideal, you need to go to Finland. It's not in the United States. The Finns really behave as if John Dewey uh, were a Finnish philosopher. But he's American, and we lose sight of the fact that A quarter of all the children in public schools in the United States live in poverty, and another quarter live very close to poverty. So half of the 40-something million kids in public schools in the United States come to school with all sorts of problems that are related to impoverishment, and Mm -hmm. that makes the task of a community giving to them what the students who get the best resources have very, very difficult. In Finland, I think the rate of childhood poverty is 5% or less and resources are distributed extremely equitably around the country, which does not exist really in the United States.
1: Mm -hmm. You said it's under assault. Our system is under assault. Can you kind of unwrap that a little bit for us?
0: Well, I suppose most of the people who are going to be listening to our conversation know about the effort of some of our fellow citizens to privatize public education, which is the idea basically ending public education as a community institution and giving it over to private organizations of one sort or another under the philosophy that private business is more effective in delivering services than government can ever be. And that idea has been around for many years, going back at least to World War II, but we've now reached a point in our national life where people who believe that are actually in charge. And so they are going to try out this idea of turning over public schools, which have existed for 150 years, to private organizations. These organizations will not be supervised by communities in the same way public schools are because they're going to be private. So the flow of tax dollars to these private organizations is going to create opportunities, uh, but also real dangers of fraud, which we see happening in many different parts of the country now that are trying this. And it undermines this idea that a community and its schools is about raising children to be members of a community, not to be members of a private organization. And that's what's in danger of being lost.
1: Mm -hmm. So can you tell us what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I guess I'm inspired most by
0: leaders who lead by example. People who are usually very committed to some public ideal. They're wise. They're committed to the public good, and they're smart, and mm-hmm. they really put themselves uh, into this job. They really live the job.
1: Is there anyone that comes to mind?
0: I have several uh, colleagues on Long Island, uh, Joe Rella in Komswag. I've Dave met him. <laughs> Dave Gamberg in South Hole, Greenport, and uh, Michael Hines in Patchogue, Medford, who uh, have really impressed me and kept me going over the last couple of years. They're really fine leaders, and they fit all of the criteria.
1: Well, I have to say they're very fond of you, yeah. too. Okay, so Stephen, can you tell us what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've received is to focus on kids
0: and content, and everything else will follow. The essence of what we do is to help children develop, and what we bring to the table in addition to our ability to work with them is our content knowledge. At the secondary level, it's in particular subjects. and if teachers focus on the content and focus on the needs of their kids, all of the rest of what we do follows. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be true, and I found the converse to be true. When bureaucracy and rules get in the way and make it difficult for teachers to focus on content and kids, then things start to fall apart. And in New York State, at least, we have a lot of that problem because it's a an incredibly over-regulated system, and that deflects A lot of teachers and administrators from this very simple straightforward rule content and kids.
1: What's your position here?
0: Here I'm an interim assistant superintendent for curriculum in Sachem.
1: So do you find as a superintendent that the same applies for the top-level leadership? You're talking about teachers focusing on kids and content and that's the best thing to do but as far as principal focusing on kids and content, yes, but also the development of their teachers.
0: Yes, and one of the things the new superintendent here uh, is trying to do is really to have principals work with teachers uh, very closely. So principals need to be leaders in this respect and less managers of buildings. Principals Mm -hmm. have to take care of the boilers. They have to make sure the windows work. They have to deal with all of that, but that's not and should not be their primary concern. Their primary concern should be to help the math department uh, really connect with kids about right triangles. And The job of us administrators is to create a culture in which teachers focus on the kids and content. Mm -hmm. And in order for the teachers to do that, we have to help them do that.
1: So it's developing leadership in everyone else, right? And creating a
0: culture where that's what people do automatically. That doesn't happen automatically. And there are a lot of things that get in the way. So it's the job of the superintendent to minimize that as much as possible.
1: Leadership is about influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Mm -hmm. And that's key in what we do and so part of the reason why i'm doing this podcast is so that people can hear your perspective on things and and help us to grow as leaders so that's great so speaking of focusing on kids and content and principles it requires that we have a good team or create a good team so what does that mean for you to have a good team and how would you build one or sustain one
0: You have to have people who are committed to the goal of the organization and you have to have people who are smart and know their stuff and uh, love being around kids and working with teachers, but they also have to be able to bend but not break. Um, (laughs) This is an incredibly imperfect institution and there are all sorts of things that frustrate us in our effort to help teachers and there are awful lot of things that frustrate teachers in their Mm -hmm. efforts to help their students. There's no getting around that, but you're either defeated by that or you sort of bend and you try to address those things without losing your focus. And that is a pretty tough thing and that's another thing that people learn how to do by the example of their superintendent and board of education and community also. Mm -hmm. People have to accept that there's a lot of nonsense that goes on but you still keep your eye on the prize. Mm
1: -hmm. So you develop a team of people who know how to be flexible but still focused.
0: In Sachem, it's a very large suburban school district, there are uh, 15 schools. Mm -hmm. So there are 15 principals and helping 15 principals to talk about all of these things is an incredibly difficult task Mm -hmm. because they have so many other things to do. But if they're not working on instruction and helping their teachers, the school system as a whole will not thrive. Mm -hmm. So my principal job is to really create an environment for them to think about instruction and for them to talk to one another about that and how they do that. Like a
1: mastermind group.
0: Right. It turns out it's very, very easy for principals to spend very little time with their colleagues because of the demands in their own building. So much to do.
1: And it requires being intentional about your schedule. Right, right. So can you tell us a bit about your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life? I don't know that I've had any
0: great successes, but I've done a number of little things along the way that I'm very proud of. When I was a middle school chair, I helped middle school teachers redesign the social studies curriculum and move away from relatively low-level information to designing a curriculum and a a style of instruction that focused on uh, what the meaning of all of that information is. And and so they designed something they called big questions, which were seven orienting questions that students would focus on throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So those were the only important things that the kids needed to master over the course of that year.
1: Seven questions.
0: Seven questions and so everything they read and discussed was related to one or another of those questions. And those questions took them through the curriculum in a way that they were able to tell a very exciting story and they were able to interpret what they learned, the information and the documents they read in ways that their classmates would understand and also to see the differences because they didn't all see the information and the documents the same way. So is
1: that framework still in use? That
0: framework is still in use, I believe, in Roslyn Middle School. Do
1: you remember any of the questions?
0: Well, one was uh, uh, after the Civil War, there was a period in American history called Reconstruction, which basically was a time when the government and society, now that the African slaves had been freed, they were now American citizens. And the big question was, okay, how are we going to include them in a society they've never been included into? And Reconstruction meant to reconstruct the Union in a way that would include these ex-slaves. So with the kids, we asked the question, did it succeed? Wow. Um, and the kids worked for six, seven weeks on that question, and they read lots of things, uh, and they read documents. We had discussions. And then they wrote at the end of that period a series of essays mm-hmm. about whether they believe reconstruction succeeded.
1: Well, that's a lot more engaging than someone just spitting yeah. facts at them. That's wonderful. Can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? My
0: experience really comes through the tradition in America of liberal arts study. Mm -hmm. I went to a liberal arts college. My teaching experience has been from the point of view of liberal arts and I think it's a a very important tradition and it's one that really is very well suited to engaging uh, students. But it is not as supported now as it was 40 or 50 years ago in the united states now there's a rush to get students to learn some kind of technical skill so that they'll be employable and in the rush to do that i'm not against kids having skills so they can get work right Um, but uh, there's always a danger that when people are young if they don't have an opportunity to read widely Uh, to experience the arts and music and to have time to think, to stretch their intellectual legs and figure things out, if they don't have time to do that, they're going to miss something incredibly important to their own development. That is basically what a liberal arts approach to education is, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to defend and nurture that because one of the aspects of privatization is, as a business model, the school wants results, and it wants results fast, and that is often antithetical to giving children room to learn about themselves as they're learning about content, be it in science, mathematics, or or history. It Mm -hmm. takes time. Kids... It don't takes a lot of develop time. develop just because you <laughs> right. snap your fingers.
1: Right. And adults don't either. Right. Right. And adults don't either. <laughs> so it certainly does right. take time. So that's been a challenge. And there's been a lot of stress in the educational realm as well on leadership level, but also on the level of educators and students. So I get that. Now, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture?
0: You have to really be committed to the task, and you have to really be persistent. I said earlier that this is a very imperfect institution, and you have to really take that to heart. You're going to be aggravated a lot, and you need to hang in there. You need to persist, and you need to not only stick to your original ideals and goals, but you need to articulate them. You need to be talking to your colleagues about them. It's very difficult to do this if you are alone and lonely. Right. Um, So it's very important Uh, to be part of a a like-minded group. And you have to try to find ways to get the message out and not be defeated by all of these frustrating impediments. But in a way, you also have to know when maybe it's time to leave. I mean, there are lots of school districts in New York State. Each one is a very different kind of place. They may look alike from the outside, but they're Mm -hmm all very, very unique, and there is something called the fit between leaders and their communities that's very important, and a person can succeed at a much higher level in one district as compared to another because of this very hard to define quality, but everyone knows about it, uh, called fit. And sometimes it's important to recognize when maybe it's not there, even though you persist, and it might be time to look if there's another place that might benefit from your style and your approach to things more uh, than your current position. So I don't think it's a bad thing at some point to say things could work better in some other place.
1: You know, I put this podcast together, and one of the things that I'm realizing is that listeners can really listen to different leaders and see if that place is a good fit. Mm -hmm. Just Mm. by your responses to these questions, it really gets them thinking, hey, that seems like a really good place to go. What are the things that I'm learning? (laughs) So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? To me, it's really
0: all about curiosity and uh, feeding it. Reading, writing, trying new things, taking risks, uh, being open to new challenges. Mm -hmm. I guess that's how I think of being a lifelong learner. You just have to remain interested and uh, not allow yourself to be, again, run into a rut by all of the bureaucratic nonsense that we have to deal with. So many of my colleagues are exhausted by... Keeping up with the latest bit of craziness from the state education department, that doesn't help anyone for you to lose your sense of wonder and excitement about being an educator and mm-hmm. about the content and the kids.
1: And you mentioned that you're close to other superintendents or other people that are like-minded, and how is that helpful in moving along? Because it can be very isolating, correct? Mm-hmm because there's so much to do. So it's being intentional about making sure you're still connected. How has that helped in your continuing to learn? Well,
0: I was mentioning earlier that I have several colleagues in Suffolk who are like-minded, and we spend time in each other's districts. So we go to each other's board meetings. We see how initiatives are developing in their communities, because in each of these communities, different things are important. And their boards of education and communities are ready to try some things but not others. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in uh, ComSwag, Joe is piloting a very, very uh, important, interesting program called the New York State uh, Performance Standards Consortium. It's basically a group of high schools that has permission from the State Education Department to assess children, not according to Regents exams, but according to doing the actual content. So, for example, in American history, You don't take an American history regents, you write about American history. You study it, you commit yourself to some part of American history that's important to you, and then you become a historian. You don't take a multiple choice test, you become a historian. In chemistry class, you become a chemist. In math class, and these schools are prospering compared to similar high schools in New York City. that have remained with the region's assessments. And so we're very much attracted to this, and we want to join. And Joe and his community have been uh, out in front of everyone in actually trying this. It's very exciting, and I spent a day uh, with him recently, and I'm welcome to go back to see what the progress is should the community here uh, be interested in talking about the difference between these high stakes tests and authentic assessment i would be able to point them in the direction of a pilot
1: we spoke a lot about that but you bring a different perspective it's wonderful to be able to take those risks too mm-hmm. and to have them succeed because the the students benefit
0: that's trust yeah. that's the school board that's the community there's a fit michael has been having tremendous success in pat med because he and his board of ed and the community and the teachers are all rowing in the same direction. And it's a very powerful place right now because of that, and quite unusual.
1: And you said something that is really key, trust. Mm -hmm. Trust has to be the foundation of all that. To have a school district like that where trust is the foundation is not common.
0: Right, it's not common. And I think one of the reasons is because if a community and a Board of Ed are able to articulate what it is they want for their kids, and if they have a leadership team that is really committed to that, then everyone is on the same page. And so when the frustrating things happen and when petty conflicts arise, people won't blame the institution in the the way that people do right now. And when people have a bad experience, in the absence of those goals, they oftentimes lose trust because they feel their needs aren't being met. And since they don't know what the larger need of the community is, they lose trust in places where you find a highly articulated sense of mission. And I don't mean just on a piece of paper, but I mean really being lived. People give the administration and the Board of Ed a lot more leeway because they believe that those people are committed to that goal, even if there are going to be mistakes along the way.
1: That's so true. Now, can you tell us what you've read that our listeners should read and why?
0: Some of the things uh, I've read and, and come back to uh, frequently are some basic philosophies of education, Plato's Republic, uh, Rousseau's Emile, just to sort of reacquaint myself with the 2,000-year tradition of thinking about human development and about the development of individuals. And it's it's good to come back to that, again, because there's so much little Picayune stuff that's drawing you away. It's important to remind yourself of these really important big ideas. There are books that help develop a view of what's going on in education these days. Uh, one classic that never goes stale is Savage Inequalities by Jonathan Kozol. Another is a book called The Great Transformation. It's now six years, but it is uh, the story about what's unique about modern society that really can help one put public education in the context of our history and our politics. Then there are great works of literature that I love that other people might not, but you should get your favorites and read them and reread them. Mine are... Uh, The brothers Karamazov and Anna Karenina. I'm a a fan of uh,
1: Russian novels. I love to read and reread them. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much for that. Now, Stephen, you have Mm -hmm. a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for what's ahead? I get here early. So what's early? Yeah, 6.30 or 7. Okay. Uh, And that
0: gives me a good hour before the- The rush. The day is on, that's right. (laughs) Um, And even though I have thought about things Uh, the day before. I really need that hour to focus and to make myself a list and remind myself of what my calendar says so that I don't feel anxious going into what I know is going to be a very compressed, intense day. That helps me a lot.
1: Now, I'm going to ask you a question that most leaders really crash and burn here because it's about balance. So can you give us some advice about maintaining balance?
0: It is very difficult. And sometimes I'm not even sure that it's all that important because I love what I do so much. Mm -hmm. And if you love what you do, you want to do it more. So sometimes balance is not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, (laughs) But you have your own balance. But yes, I understand what you mean. I like to really be ahead of things as much as possible so that when the weekends come and when holidays are here, I can really disconnect. And I mean really not think about all the things that I have been thinking about or will be thinking about when I return. And if I'm really in control of what has happened, I feel that I can do that. And when I return, I'm not going to be returning to a disaster.
1: So that's, see, that's difficult for me. So how do you do that? How do you set your mind to disconnect?
0: Family, friends, music, Mm -hmm. uh, long walks in the woods, go to museums, just about anything other than being in school. Well, in a way, it goes back to the curiosity stuff. If you're a curious person, you're curious about things that you don't necessarily encounter at work. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of those out there. Good rest, a new good restaurant.
1: I think it was Joseph Ralla who spoke about being present. And that's a practice. Where you are is where you are. Thank you so much for that. Okay, one last question. So if you were to go back in time, Stephen, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would take more time to listen to my colleagues,
0: everything going on in the school I worked in. I can tend to be a kind of impatient person. I like to get things done. I like things to be moving along. Mm -hmm. Um, And the downside of that is uh, you might not take the time you need to take in order to hear what your colleagues are saying. And if I had it to do all over again, I would do more of that.
1: So you would tell yourself to listen.
0: I would tell myself to shut up and listen.
1: I wonder if you would listen to that. <laughs> maybe now you would. Right? Yeah, maybe now I would. Right. So, is there anything that we haven't addressed that you'd like to share with our listeners? Not
0: so much anything else but to reiterate that this institution is worth preserving, defending and improving, and it's really really hard work.
1: I want to thank you so much for adding value not just to me, but to our listeners. Great. I, I it, hope so. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.